this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath kazakhstan the largest and richest of the central asian republics is in turmoil the country has been rocked by massive protests since the start of the new year the protests have also been marked by violence and looting while the immediate trigger seems to be a hike in lpg prices the protesters did not relent even after the government announced that it will roll back the price hike and as violence escalated president kasim jomart tokayev gave orders to shoot at the protesters without warning he has also claimed that foreign elements are behind the protests he turned to russia for help in quelling the disturbance and things seem to have settled down a little bit after about 2500 russian troops landed in the country so what exactly are the factors uh, driving this latest round of unrest is there really some foreign involvement and what are the geopolitical implications of russian troop presence on kazakhstan soil we discuss all this and more with stanley johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us thanks uh, sambath thanks for having me once again Stanley as uh, as we know Kazakhstan has been relatively stable for the longest time and it's got huge oil reserves and it's not known much for democratic mobilization and protests and so on so what's behind the protests which have rocked the country uh, since the beginning of 2022 hi sambath as you mentioned in the introduction the trigger was the fuel price hike so it was a price reform so they removed a cap on liquefied petroleum gas which is largely used especially in the western parts of the country in vehicles because petrol and diesel are more expensive so some reports say 60 to 70% of vehicle owners use lpg in their vehicle so the price rise so after removing the price cap the prices almost doubled overnight so that had an immediate impact on the people and then they started protesting so that was the trigger but then you know if you look at the scale of the protest the pace with which it spread across the country and turned violent especially in places like almaty which is the largest city of kazakhstan and also the subsequent statements by uh, the government itself uh, by president tokayev himself suggest that there were underlying issues for the protest and that includes you know poverty in the countryside and then widening inequality Uh, and other issues like inflation etc etc lower wages so all these things were kind of building up and then you look at kazakhstan it was a soviet republic and after the disintegration of the soviet union in 1991 december kazakhstan became an independent country and since then the former president you know nazarbayev nursultan nazarbayev had dominated the country's politics for decades so he became president of kazakhstan in 1990 when kazakhstan was part of the soviet union he was appointed by the supreme soviet and when it became independent he held on to that position because he was the most powerful man in kazakhstan when the country became independent and then since then until he quit power in 2019 which was just 3 years ago so nazarbayev was you know the most powerful man in the country and then he continued to remain the real power behind the throne even after he quit you know presidency in 2019 also you look at certain numbers of kazakhstan yeah of course kazakhstan is a, a an oil and gas rich country it's also a uranium rich country 40% of the world's uranium uh, actually come from kazakhstan and 
and it is it is the largest it is the 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 wealthiest country in central asia the largest economy in central asia it is also largely seen as a stable you know stable uh, and pro business uh, economy and political order but at the same time you see kazakhstan's economy its gdp had doubled between uh, 2006 and 2015 but at the same time according to a kpmg report only 162 people control half of the country's wealth that's 50% only 162 individuals and then you look at the monthly average wage of the workers in kazakhstan according to the government records it is just 500 dollars and independent economists and the report suggests that it's as low as 100 dollars so on the one side you have people whose monthly wage is 100 dollars and on the other side you have 162 individuals and several of them from the family of the former president controlling half of the country's wealth so this you know this is what president tokayev after the crisis broke out he gave a speech in parliament a couple of days ago in which he directly targeted the former president for the first time because tokayev was largely seen as a loyalist but then he said thanks to the former president so we had a crop of profitable companies and an extra layer of wealthy people which is creating problems in the country and he also announced measures he said he is going to launch a war to take on inequality whether he would do it or not the current president is now building a narrative against inequality and is also targeting the former president so these are the underlying issues and the issues the government also recognizes that these were the major issues the country economic issues the country was facing and public resentment was building up so what happened with the pri- fuel price increase was that that just acted as a trigger it lit the fuse and then the public anger actually poured into a bigger crisis for the government right so there were there were also been reports that government buildings and even an airport was taken over by protesters i mean generally when we when we think of protests we think of you know the arab the middle east protests the so called color revolutions and they have been largely peaceful uh, but in this case uh, there seems to have been a lot of organized violence as well if if you have to go by media reports in the western press so how violent were they and and where where these violent elements brought in by somebody or is it from inside like how do we understand the large component of violence in these protests there is lack of clarity on who were behind the protests or was there any particular organization we don't know i was literally i was going through news news reports from the region ground reports to find if any particular organization is named but i i couldn't find anything so but the government says foreign backed bandits foreign backed terrorists were behind the protests so they do even putin said when he gave a press conference the other day he also blamed foreign intervention in kazakhstan but nobody says which foreign country is it turkey i mean are they referring to turkey we don't know because at least we know that turkey is also trying to expand its influence into this region because of this turkic linkages with the people etc etc but we don't know nobody is naming any country they just say foreign backed and then quote and quote terrorist bandits terrorist groups etc etc so there is uh, there is lack of clarity on who was behind the protest and then if you look at the public statements and also the reports that came from from the kazakh cities the protesters in western kazakhstan where the the crisis began they maintained that their protests were peaceful they did not take up arms and they were demanding the fuel price rollback and political reforms etc etc 
But at the same time, we saw that in places like Almaty, it became completely violent because there were pictures of, because Almaty is known for its big malls and, you know, skyscrapers, etc., etc. There were pictures of malls completely vandalized. Looting was reported across the city. Government buildings were stormed. And the government says some 18 security officials were killed in, in violence. So definitely it was, there were violent clashes, at least in Almaty and uh, other cities. Some reports say it was unemployed youth uh, who turned violent. I mean, they were frustrated, lack of economic opportunities. So once the protests began, their, you know, anger burst into other kind of activities and they, they, they uh, took up arms and fought the security services. So you see different narratives here. But at the same time, you have, we have lack of clarity who was actually behind the protests. But I think we can say with absolute certainty that, of course, the protests in many places turned violent and there was violence, looting, etc., etc., clashes, etc., etc. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you've been pointing out, there doesn't seem to be enough of uh, clarity on, on what exactly is going on there at the ground level because they've also, I think, shut down internet and... Uh, uh, cell phone uh, services, and then it's very difficult to get information out. But coming back to uh, Tokayev, I mean, he was uh, a protege of Nazarbayev, the dominant figure. But lately, I think it looks like he has also been going after people from the Nazarbayev camp. I mean, he has arrested the, the powerful head of uh, their security service uh, uh, recently. And uh, so is there have been some indication that there might be some internal power tussle that could also be a factor behind these protests, you know, with, with elements from the Nazarbayev camp trying to overthrow Tokayev or some something like that. So, well, how how do you understand uh, these kinds of rumors that are doing the rounds? Yeah, there are definitely there are that kind of rumors because I saw the MSNBC interview with the Kazakh ambassador in the United States, in which the ambassador was asked whether the former president was behind the protests trying to unseat. Tokayev, to which the ambassador, of course, the ambassador says that no, there were there is no truth in that kind of allegations. But at least such talks are there in the air. We don't know whether uh, Nazarbayev was involved in it, but we can say that you know the protests had actually weakened Nazarbayev's hold on power. That is the outcome of the protests because it is now evident that his era is coming to an end because. Until the protest broke out, whether there were a power, there was a power tussle between Tokayev and Nazarbayev or not, at least in, the, in his public postering, Tokayev remained a loyal, you know, lieutenant of Nazarbayev. And Nazarbayev, even after quitting power in 2019, continued to remain the main force behind the throne because you see, he is the Elbasi, the nation of the, the leader of the nation, which is a constitutional position. And he was the head of the security, the powerful government security commission. And he was also the leader of the ruling party, Noor Otan, until late last year, December 2021. So, so Nazarbayev continued to control the government. And in the last three years, until the protests broke out, there was not even a single instance where Takayev publicly defied him. So this actually created an impression among the public that, you know, what they call the old man. Uh, you know, the one, one of the rallying cries of the protests was that the old man out. They wanted Nazarbayev out. They were directly targeting Nazarbayev, not Tokayev. So one of the outcomes of the protests is that Tokayev, I think, has moved swiftly 
to on the one side he denounced the protests he called them terrorists etc etc you know and then he he vowed to use force to crush the protests while on the other side he was also reaching out to them you see he immediately rolled back the fuel price fuel price hike he he fired the government he dismissed the government he also fired nazarbayev as the head of the security council so he grabbed the opportunity to end nazarbayev's continued influence over the government and then in parliament he denounced nazarbayev for widening inequality in the country and then he also promised the steps to take on inequality so what you can see in the wake of the protests takayev is seizing on the opportunity to bring the era of nazarbayev which is you know the three decades long powerful era of nazarbayev to an end and start a fresh you know kind of consolidate power under his hands right this seems to be a really a very smart kind of an approach from uh, tokayev and another very interesting move he has made is that he has uh, gotten uh, foreign troops uh, essentially from russia uh, to help him quell and control the protests now this is something which according to some analysts may have implications beyond uh, kazakhstan's uh, domestic politics because uh, it has come under the, the troops are there under the collective security treaty organization uh, which has this five or six countries and it is supposed to be meant for dealing with an external threat you know like similar to nato if one of those countries are attacked by another power then they collectively come to their defense but here it's an internal protest and then you got russian troops on uh, kazakh soil like uh, what does it mean because kazakhstan has i mean as we understand traditionally tried to be a little bit independent and sort of play russia china and the west against each other while maintaining a balance so how do you understand the implications of russian troops on kazakh soil two things one is yeah csd your troops are there now in kazakhstan and according to article 4 of uh, csto the organization can send troops to one of the member countries if its territorial integrity and sovereignty come under threat so is in this context we have to see the foreign terrorist label which the kazakh leader was giving to the protesters so he doesn't name which country doesn't accuse any country of any particular country of backing the protesters but he says that foreign trained and foreign backed terrorists were threatening his administration in kazakhstan so this gives him this argument this narrative gives him legitimacy to support the csto uh, intervention in the country because uh, with the foreign element is there he could argue that yeah kazakhstan sovereignty is being threatened legitimate government is being threatened so then he is asking csto for assistance so it is in this context that csto is sending troops immediately putin has immediately dispatched troops to kazakhstan to crush protests and secondly i think tokayev believed that the protests had gone out of spiraled out of control uh, you know you just look at the pictures on bbc and cnn almaty looked like a war zone so maybe tokayev uh, you know concluded that his administration would not be able to restore order so he wanted external help so he immediately turned to russia and then for russia which shares some 7000 kilometers of border with kazakhstan instability in kazakhstan would be detrimental to putin's hold on power it would be uh, you know he, the russians see that as a major uh, threat to themselves so then they they immediately responded to that so within two days russians had dispatched the troops the csto csto troops were in kazakhstan and now the government says that an uneasy calm was re- was restored in its cities so basically this is what happened 
But at the same time, you see the larger geopolitical picture, you see the protests were a challenge to the Kazakh government as well as to the Russians. But by sending troops to Kazakhstan, Russia had once again established itself as the major force of stability in the region, you know, the status quo in the region. And then, you know, uh, Russia has also expanded its influence to Kazakhstan. It, it has further expanded its influence to Kazakhstan. Because as you said in the question, yeah, Kazakhstan had tried to balance its ties in the last three decades. That was the Nazarbayev policy. Because Nazarbayev promoted economic integration and trade integration with the former Soviet Central Asian states as well as Russian Federation. He also understood that, you know, he should not upset Russia's security concerns. So he promised the Russians that he would never cross that red line. So he established a very close security cooperation with the Russians, while at the same time he opened up his economy for Western companies. So all kinds of Western companies came and invested in, especially in the oil and gas sector. So that was the approach Nazarbayev had taken. But now, by inviting CSTO to come to his country, by inviting Russian troops to his country, so which he, he, he might have been forced to do it, but Tokayev had certainly blurred that line of balancing between Russia and the West. So maybe he is preferring closer economic and security cooperation and integration with the Russians at a time when Russian President Vladimir Putin is trying to steadily expand Russian influence across the former Soviet republics from the Baltic Sea to the Caspian Sea. So this is the implication of the CSTO intervention. And, and of course, Tokayev says the Russians would be out within a few days. We have to wait and see whether that would actually happen. Right. You, you just said that uh, Tokayev said the Russians would be out in a few days. And I'm reading this in the context of uh, the U.S. Uh, Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken's uh, statement that once you have the Russians in your home, it's very, very difficult to get them out. And if we sort of uh, take these two statements uh, in the context of What's been going on in uh, in Europe vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Ukraine and Belarus and, and, and the Putin's sort of tensions with the West regarding uh, what he wants NATO not to do and what NATO wants to do in terms of expanding eastward? Does, does the entire uh, sequence of events in Kazakhstan make Putin's position uh, somewhat more tenuous or does it make it stronger because he's now got a true presence in one more country? Yeah, uh, it would depend on which direction Kazakhstan would turn from here, I think. Now, everybody, including Putin, wants to turn this into an opportunity. One thing is sure, from the very beginning, Putin is trying to expand all the crisis, any crisis in the region, or turn any crisis in the region into opportunities. So, so he is trying to do the same with Kazakhstan also. And his policy had backfired. It backfired in Ukraine, definitely, so that the Russians eventually had to annex Crimea, you know, which which came with economic costs from which Russia hasn't recovered yet. And uh, Ukraine continues to remain a major crisis for the Russian president, even now. But otherwise, you see Georgia, he successfully stopped Georgia's joining of uh, NATO in 2008 by supporting South Ossetia and Abkhazia. And uh, in Belarus, Belarus actually, when the crisis broke out in Belarus against uh, President Lukashenko, Putin sent assistance to him to help him stabilize order in Belarus, some kind of order in Belarus. So that Lukashenko, who was at one point of time, you know, considering building stronger ties with Europe, is now back to Putin's fault, because uh, that's what that's what the Russians also wanted. And then 
you come to ukraine yeah as i said ukraine continues to be a problem for putin but then he has amassed some 100000 troops on the russian ukrainian border and the russians are supporting pro russian rebels in eastern ukraine in the donbas region uh, as well as uh, you saw crimea is now part of russia russia has an extra crimea and then come when it comes to the nagorno karabakh conflict of 2020 between azerbaijan and armenia interestingly armenia is a signatory of csto but putin didn't send troops to help armenia back then because azerbaijan was directly backed by turkey so the russians waited on the fence and once the war was over in a sense once armenia was militarily defeated in the conflict kind of you know at least in nagorno karabakh then putin sends troops calling them peacekeepers to restore some kind of order and balance between these two countries so he has expanded he has sent troops to you know to the region between azerbaijan and armenia in 2020 and now again you see he is uh, he has managed to send peacekeepers to kazakhstan so he is steadily expanding russian footprint in the former soviet uh, republics and the question is whether if tokayev manages to restore order manages to mobilize support you know under his leadership if he is emerging out of the shadows of nazarbayev which is what definitely he wants to do and then i think it is advantage putin because tokayev has certainly spoken that he would prefer uh, closer ties with uh, the russian leader and the russians have uh, responded favorably to his request so if but if the trouble continues in uh, kazakhstan then that would test uh, russia's options in the country right i think uh, what you pointed out is uh, absolutely spot on in terms of how putin has been turning uh, time and again every crisis in in this region into an opportunity for expanding uh, russia's uh, influence and geopolitical footprint i think that's one take away from all these various aspects we've been discussing and it'll be interesting to also see how if and when and uh, there comes a conflict point with another uh, regional hegemon china because that the china is also i think quite uh, keen to sort of have its say it i think it's got its belt and road initiative uh, going in kazakhstan as well uh, which is an oil country and i think that will be interesting to talk about as well so we'll wind up for now stanley any concluding comments you want to make before we say goodbye for this episode no just one thing that uh, yeah since you mentioned china as of now you know the russians and the chinese are you know and everything is going good for them but central asia could be a blind spot for them in the future because you see the russians always feared that about this rimland theory that their rimland being encircled by a hostile power china is not a hostile power as of now but the chinese are also expanding their influence in central asia but the way the russians are now trying to you know keep central asia out of the western influence right now it shows russia's insecurity basically but the chinese are now sitting on the fence so this this is something we have to watch out in the future you know how because chinese as you said they want china wants central asia they they look at central asia as a key geography of their belt and road initiative whereas russia sees central asia as its backyard its sphere of influence and russians have managed to keep the west out of central asia they haven't done it in eastern europe in eastern europe nato is expanding the americans are there the brits are there in the black sea you know all kind of chaos is there in eastern europe but in central asia russia has managed to keep the west out to to a certain extent but whether they would be able to keep the chinese out that's the question 
Right, that is indeed the question and the most fascinating one. And I think in the coming months and years, uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, this trajectory of uh, of the strategic game develops. Thank you so much, uh, Stanley, for sharing your insights and comments on the developing story. We'll probably come back to it again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ambar. Pleasure talking. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.